Hi everyone, I'm Paola Diana and this is Unleashed the Game Changers. Today our guest is a menopause and perimenopause expert. Thank you Theodora Calenzi to be here with us today. Thank you very much, Paula. I'm very happy to be here today. As you know, this topic of the perimenopause and menopause is very close to my heart because I love people, especially women, of course, to be aware of their you know, biology, of their body, what's happening in their lives, especially women of my age. You know, I'm in my uh, mid-40s. And every time I talk about them, about the issue of perimenopause, uh, they tend to tell me, oh, no, but we are too young and nothing is happening to us. And it makes me reflect, you know, that actually nature doesn't really work like that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen in one day that you lose all your hormones. Can you please explain to us how the perimenopause works? Well, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't happen just one day with very, very few exceptions. When we doctors mess with nature, <laughs> I use the word mess, obviously, in inverted commas, because you can have conditions where it's induced medically, either through an operation or through sure. uh, chemotherapy. But that's a, a slightly different uh, topic. If we have time, we can talk about. But, but yes, the perimenopause is such a fascinating area because it's not very well understood still. It's not very well known, even amongst my colleagues. Um, they do not normally or usually address the perimenopause as the potential, perhaps, trigger, cause of um, a, a huge range of symptoms that it can come with. And as you said, a lot of women feel and are told you're too young yeah. for that. Because it's a taboo, I think, right? Because they connect menopause with age and they, they, unfortunately, they think that aging is bad for women, right? Absolutely. And I recently had a young lady in her, like, 41 years old, who said that she actually took about a year to come and see a, a doctor because the main thinking for her was, um, this is too early. And if I do go and see somebody, it means that I am getting old now. And when she came to me, she said, I feel that um, half the battle is won now because uh, I'm here and I'm accepting that there is an issue and I'm prepared to start talking about it. And I don't really know if my treatment helped her, but when she came back, she was over the moon. She was really happy and she said, oh, this is working so well. I don't know if it's placebo or if it does work, but I think the fact that I have a different attitude now has helped me so much. Yeah, there is so much ages for women. You know, it's so horrible. What do you think about that? Do you feel that uh, in your life, in your profession? Absolutely, and, and, and this is one of the um, main issues that a lot of women, whether they admit to it to me or to themselves to start with, is, is very, very important because I hear a lot of them saying, um, I, I don't like getting older. I don't really like seeing how my body changes. I don't like uh, thinking that uh, I'm not the... Um, young, uh, attractive woman anymore. And one of the phrases they use is, I feel invisible. Yeah. That kind of feeling sad. invisible is very sad. And I think that this is exactly the opposite. We should be celebrating exactly. getting older. Yeah. We should be feeling really uh, full of um, curiosity about what, what else is there for us to do. And uh, I think it's an opportunity 
to utilize everything we've been through in our life yeah. and, and build on that. And, and also, you know, we are wiser. We become much mm. wiser with age. <laughs> we should actually celebrate to be so wise, <laughs> you know, because we do so many mistakes in our 20s. I don't know you, but I, <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> and it's okay to keep doing mistakes. We, we are yeah. human beings and it's about um, understanding our journey in life, where we are going and uh, uh, building on our successes, learning from what we perhaps didn't do so well earlier on sure. um, and uh, not to be afraid. And what I usually discuss with a lot of women is us taking control of our life, not allowing some change of nature, which affects sure. the hormones and the perimenopause and beyond, to take control of us. Yeah, but let's go back to biology. So what does it happen when uh, a woman uh, starts her perimenopause? What happens? Which type of changes? Well, the perimenopause is, is really the term we use for a transition period. And, and that transition period can carry on for years. It can start even earlier ten years. on. Yes, 10 years and, and more. Um, so it can start even in our 30s, more commonly in 40s. But I do see more and more women coming uh, at an earlier stage and recognizing that there might be some hormonal imbalance. Um, and it's the transition until our ovaries stop functioning, stop releasing eggs and then stop releasing the main hormones that affect us as women, which include the estrogen that we all know the term uh, about. And uh, there are also a couple of other hormones, progesterone and even the male hormone, testosterone. Yeah. So what usually happens biologically in the perimenopause? I would say it's very simple. There are two things. Um, if I look at one type of hormones only, and that's the one that most people associate the, uh, the perimenopause and the menopause, is the estrogen. Yes. And estrogen is a generic term because there are different types of estrogen we have in our body. But what happens in the perimenopause is two things. One is that we can get very lows of yeah. the um, estrogen hormones, so they can become really, really low level, and that can be a trigger for a lot of symptoms. And the other change that happens is that they can just become um, very uh, variable on a daily basis. You may have spikes of highs and then lows even within the same day. So what it means is that from having a usually a bell-shaped type of production of the hormones through our, let's say, monthly cycle, what may happen on a daily basis is something chaotic. And I usually draw to women what that may look like on a piece of paper, and it's something like waves. And which symptoms are, are associated to this, uh, you know, imbalance? Well, there can be a lot of symptoms, and I usually put them in three main categories. One is physical symptoms, the other one is emotional, and the other one is cognitive. Last but not least, I will also talk about sexual. Yeah, it's very important as very well. Very important, but not so much talked about still. In terms of physical symptoms, I think more or less everybody knows about the hot flashes or the night sweats yeah. or both. And they associate the perimenopause and menopause with these two. These are not the only symptoms though. Insomnia as well, right? Oh yes, yes. Very, but very, very common. Very common. Um, I am uh, an advisory board member for the Sleep Council. So there is a, a professional body, a charity that also look into the effect of sleep in our daily life and our function. 
uh, and it's recognized how the menopause can affect or the I use the, the, the term menopause loosely here, sure. so it, it contains the perimenopause as well. But the uh, sleep disturbance is a very uh, common symptom and can be debilitating for a lot of, of women. Course. Of course, I know. They can't even work properly because they're exhausted mm -hmm. if you stay awake for the majority of the night. So definitely, you know, if some, some women in her 30s or 40s uh, starts having this insomnia, uh, I think she should check her hormones, right? Or go to a GP who is an expert in menopause as you are. I would suggest that, right? Well, it, it is advisable to, to seek help. But what I would like to also add here, um, Paola, is that there is a lot of emotional change that can happen because of the change of the hormones. And sometimes that can be the first symptom. So one of the most common presentations is anxiety. So a lot of women out of the blue start feeling quite anxious. And of course, you know, there can be life events also triggering or contributing to our emotional state. Uh, life is not a happy place every day and we sure. have all these challenges, especially as we grow older. There is career, family, uh, relationships, uh, parents, uh, name it. So much the pandemic now. So we have lots of triggers on a daily basis and then you've got your hormones as well. So what happens, which is interesting, is because we all recognize the effect of these factors on our emotional state, we delay the recognition of these physiological chains. So we accept it, well, yeah. and I think as women, um, we, we're used to kind of taking it on the chin for a long time and suffering and yeah. really thinking, yeah, I'll go through this and it's because of my work and my stress or the but kids. But this is very bad. And you know what? I keep reading that the majority of GPs are not fully trained in uh, menopause and they tend to prescribe antidepressants to women when they, you know, talk to them about these symptoms. Eventually, they might have, uh, you know, the perimenopause or the perimenopause. It's actually bad. Absolutely, and there's been a lot of publicity, which is helpful over the last few years, about how to recognize the emotional symptoms that can relate to the changing hormones, the, the perimenopause and menopause. And uh, as you say rightly, um, my colleagues, I'm a GP myself, so uh, dealing with depression, anxiety uh, is, is a very, very common presentation in our day-to-day -day life. And we, we know the symptoms very well and, and how to treat it. And the symptoms can be identical, all very similar. But what is interesting to hear, and this is where it's important to listen to, to your patient, listen to, to the women who come to you, is when they say, this is not me. I've never been like this before. I have women who say, I've been depressed. I've been treated in the past. I know what depression is like. And this is different. Yeah. Or they say, there's nothing in my life to make me feel like this. My life is good. Or I understand the challenges I have. I've always had a stressful job. Why am I so anxious now? Yeah. Why have I lost my confidence? Yeah. Why do I have panic attacks? I never had a panic attack in my life before. And I see that as a very common symptom. You see women very successful in their careers, having uh, been in boardrooms or giving presentations to a lot of people, hundreds of people before. Now they panic with the idea, the thought that they will have to go and give a presentation. 
Also because many of them, they also experience brain fog, correct? Oh, that's it. <laughs> Let's talk about brain fog, please, because myself as well, you know, I, I think I went through that and I, I, I couldn't recognize that, right? I didn't know what it was. So can, can you explain what it is brain fog and if it's connected with the menopause? Well, absolutely. That's another really common uh, symptom. and. Uh, it can cause so many difficulties and challenges, uh, whether it's our personal, professional life or relationships. Uh, one common effect is, is memory. Yeah. Everybody complains that, oh, my memory has gone. And what is frustrating is when you are in the middle of saying something and then you lose it. It's like, what did I want to say? Uh, what's the word? It's and terrible. It, yes, I mean, <laughs> it happens. It's, 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 yeah. it's not only the hormones, but... Uh, it, during the perimenopause, it can happen even more often, sure. and that can be very, very difficult when it's uh, repeated, and then you start losing confidence because it's that kind of negative loop feedback where you think, oh, it happened then, and then you get terrified it will happen again, and that you will look stupid in front yeah. of an audience, or even when your partner starts telling you off, like, but I told you so many times, you don't, you know, you don't remember this. You just think, did you really? <laughs> when? Or, of course, you know, when you start uh, putting things in the wrong place and yeah. you don't find them, or you have this cloud over your head, you, you have this fuzzy head all, all day long, and you feel, I can't possibly do 10 tasks anymore sure. at the same time. We are known to be very yeah. good at multitasking. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just feel, uh, I can't cope anymore, I don't feel efficient anymore. and that can start causing a lot of problems. So this is connected with the hormonal imbalance? It can, indeed. Interesting. So definitely, uh, I, I mean, whoever has the symptoms should come, of course, to you if they live in the city, <laughs> because you actually funded the best you know, clinic for the uh, menopause, uh, but uh, in the city of London, of course. But uh, I also think that all GPs should take some of these uh, courses uh, and, and become aware. There is a more movement towards um, uh, gaining more knowledge and uh, understanding more about the perimenopause. It's interesting, Paola, that the level of training we have had in medical school and in the postgraduate training, even when I was a young trainee GP, I had almost zero training about the menopause and That's the perimenopause. terrible, Theodora. It is, <laughs> it is. That was 25 years ago. But still, but still, this um, is the way they were treating, uh, you know, female biology. Unbelievable. Well, that was one of the reasons why I became so interested in the in the field. Uh, yeah. Even as a medical student, I saw my mother suffering a lot yeah. uh, with symptoms. And um, she didn't have HRT. No, she didn't even think about asking for help. It was something that you just had to go through. through. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Let's talk about uh, the, the possible cure, right? <laughs> this famous uh, uh, HRT. Can you tell us what it is and what it does? Well, HRT is the hormone replacement therapy, as the abbreviation uh, uh, means. And it's one of the treatments for um, perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms. It is considered to be the first choice, the best treatment for managing a lot of the symptoms, physical, emotional, um, and cognitive. Um, and the main idea really, as the word says, is about replacing what the body isn't producing consistently yes. anymore. Yeah. We are topping up 
what our robbers used to do very well until recently and now they may be all over the place they may be doing less one day or even within the same day a little bit more the next and what we try to do in the perimenopause in particular is just to bring a baseline that is steady and our body can settle there nicely in terms of how uh, all the different receptors we have in every part of the body um, can feel happy with the amount of hormones now that we are giving uh, externally so that this kind of internal variability isn't as extreme as okay. it can be and of course when we have the lows the extreme lows again by taking the external hormones we overcome that very very low level that and our body is doing and these hormones can be also bioidentical right that's the good thing that we have nowadays mm -hmm medicines and uh, treatments have progressed a lot in the last few years so we do have what we call the body or bioidentical hormones which means that chemically they're exactly the same with the hormones that our body produces that's what it means yeah so we should uh, our body should have uh, less you know reaction i mean of course against these hormones correct so well what we're trying to do is to give like for like yeah. So what the body isn't producing anymore at the same level or consistently, then we try to give back to the body uh, the same exactly hormone. So um, that would have less side effects. And of course, it will be more appropriate for our receptors yeah. to, to get uh, the effect from, from these same hormones. And why some people uh, are very scared? about HRT because I heard uh, you know uh, people saying oh my god it gives you a headache it gives you heart attacks all sorts of horrible things what would you tell these people well again it really depends on what the main concern um, is but the, the the main issue that uh, a, a lot of people worry about is the breast cancer yeah. and uh, of course we had um, two very big studies about 20 years ago that um, came out around the same time and there were big scare kind of like titles um, on media about HRT causing breast cancer, making you die from heart attacks and strokes. So there were many faults uh, with these studies and uh, fast forward 20 years later, they all came back to try and correct all the negative publicity and the damage they did so many years ago. But it's difficult to undo the harm. Sure. When there is something so negative, it tends to stay for a very long time. I know. And even when you have positive news coming out, we don't believe the positive, the good news the yeah. same way as we want to believe. And we're very, very eager to believe the negative and the, and the bad news. So the breast cancer scare is still there. Uh, and it's very interesting because we're trying to promote lifestyle factors. Because what is interesting is when you compare the effect potentially that alcohol can have on yeah. breast cancer risk or being no overweight. One, no one thinks about that. Nobody thinks about You're that. Right. Even having one glass of fantastic wine every yeah. night, um, you can have your nice big glass there and that can give you a higher risk of breast cancer compared to the HRT risk. Yeah. Do you think there is enough research on menopause and in general women's you know, uh, issues, or do you think uh, uh, we still can do, could do much more? Absolutely, there is need, desperate need for more, desperate need. Yeah. There isn't enough research. There have been studies, as I said, unfortunately, some of the big studies and uh, 
they were stopped uh, very early in, in those days, um, didn't really look at the right things or the right population or with the right types of HRT. Things have progressed. We have new regimens available. So we do need many, many more studies. And of course, what we need is the length of time of as course, well. Of course, right, yes. Yeah. Because uh, when women started uh, uh, using HRT, how many years ago? Well, HRT has been around for many years, even from uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, but it was around the, the late um, 90s um, where there was uh, the, the, the kind of view that the HRT was an elixir of life. So it was very, very popular then, so it was on the high. And then you had these two big studies in, in early 2000. And then the, the HRT use plummeted around the world. And some of the issues we have had in, the, in recent years, and, and perhaps some viewers will uh, resonate with that, uh, there has been a, a worldwide um, supply of HRT. So a lot of companies stopped producing HRT. That's terrible, honestly, Fedora. Also because if you think about you know, one effect if you, of the menopause is you gain weight. And especially you gain weight in your belly, you know, mm -hmm. that we all know is the worst type of weight for your health, of course. I'm not talking about beauty at all, you know. <laughs> but, you know, from a health point of view, you know, that's actually worse, right, than maybe gaining HRT because, you know, being obese eventually is very bad for your health. You know, so wh why they're not talking about that? Why no one connects the benefits of <laughs> HRT? Well... There is a good effort mm -hmm. going on, and you see, it's interesting, you see celebrities coming out and uh, talking about their own experience and promoting the uh, treatment and the use of HRT and trying to demystify those myths, which is fantastic. Um, the British Menopause Society in the UK is fantastic in terms of the work that it does in the background, but also in the, in, in the media. They have produced a lot of videos recently on the website. There is a patient arm as well with a lot of information which is written in simple, easy to understand language. So the, the, the effort is there, the willingness is there. And the good news is that media interest is also very positive. That's true. And it has been much more in the last couple of years. And that's great. And until now, we only talked about women. But of course, as we know, you know, men can have the similar thing, <laughs> uh, similar to the menopause, and it's called andropause, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So yes. no one is really talking about this, Theodora. Can you tell us something <laughs> more? <laughs> absolutely. And, and of course, I'm, I'm not an expert in the field of the andropause, but it's really fascinating because I think there has to be an awareness raising on, in that area too. Uh, because what I see very frequently is uh, as women get back on track and they feel fantastic and they uh, have control of their life again and they're ready to have that relationship with a partner, husband, the sexuality has improved, and then the partner cannot really follow, whether it's um, wow. because the libido is low or performance is affected or both um, and they are not prepared to address that because if a man starts having low testosterone this can definitely affect his sexual life right absolutely absolutely and it's more common than we think and uh, it's about also men understanding that they do suffer potentially from lower levels of testosterone sure. as they grow older and that can have uh, a knock-on effect on uh, a lot of aspects of, of their life, physical symptoms, cognitive, sexual. Interesting. So why do you think we're not talking about that? 
Well, there is the taboo. I believe it's a, it's a lot about the ageism. We do not mm. celebrate getting older. We celebrate youth and uh, remaining young, looking young. And uh, we don't celebrate um, how there is more opportunity in life and there's so much more to look forward as we, we, we grow older. And I heard also that it's very dangerous, especially for men, low testosterone is really connected with depression and uh, suicidal thoughts. And we all know that unfortunately, you know, uh, men, they tend uh, to, you know, have a higher rate of suicide, especially after their 40s. So it's, it's, this is a topic we should definitely talk about. I actually want to invite uh, an entrepreneur's expert. <laughs> I think it would be great to, you know, yeah, we, we have to disrupt these taboos. Honestly, I, I, I don't think they should, uh, you know, have space in our society anymore. We all have to look forward to a better lifestyle. And, and definitely, I, I truly believe HRT is a good choice. I truly believe it. Absolutely, we do have to um, raise the um, for awareness. For men and women. For men and women, mm -hmm. they need to understand, men need to understand about the, the menopause yeah. so that they can support their, their partners, they so can support colleagues, they can support friends, they can support the daughters, the mothers. Yeah. Um, and equally, they need to understand about themselves that they can be affected by lack of hormone. It's not only a woman's issue. It's very interesting. But women as well, right? If they have low testosterone, they should take uh, some testosterone replacement. Right? Oh, that's a topic very close to my heart because testosterone is such a, an amazing hormone and, and it's not talked at all or very little. Exactly. Even within the scientific community, um, there's very, very little research uh, around the use of testosterone in women and uh, a lot of uh, still um, reluctance to introduce that and include that as the um, part of the normal physiology. As women, we do have some testosterone. Sure. And it's interesting that even from as early as our in our 30s, the testosterone levels can start going lower. It's so quite normal, actually. It is normal. That's, yeah. that's normal. But then over time, and especially around the perimenopause and the menopause, the, the levels can go even, even lower. And testosterone is connected with your energy levels, right? It's usually connected with energy levels and libido, yeah. sex drive. The sex drive, that's very important. But yeah. it's interesting that it's also connected in other areas of our body. So, for example, our muscle tone, muscle strength, and we tend to lose muscle as we go into the menopause and beyond. Yeah. And it's interesting that I hear from a lot of colleagues who are in the orthopedic field or physiotherapists who see a lot of injuries in women who train hard uh, in the 40s and 50s. And, and, and some come to me and say, well, but I've always trained like this, but I seem to be getting more sprains or I had um, a, a pulled ligament the other day and it takes longer to heal. And this is not the norm for because me. Because they're lacking testosterone. It could be. So it's a combination of estrogen, testosterone, but the testosterone does play a role on our muscle, Very muscle strength and tone. It can also promote the health of our bones. It can have an effect potentially in some women on emotional symptoms and cognitive function. And again, these are not areas that are talked about at it's all. True. It's true, you're right. And also, it does also affect the way we store fat, correct? You know, yeah. body? <laughs> you've, done, you've done your research very well. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm impressed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I'm interested in, uh, in the topic <laughs> and also for myself, right? I definitely noticed, right, uh, growing up that mm -hmm. uh, the, the way I'm storing fat is different. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us something more about that? 
Oh, that's a big heartache. Uh, I think every other woman who comes to the clinic will uh, complain of the weight gain. And in particular, this area here, this is the area we all yes. suffer. It all comes here on our tummy area. So yes, our body changes as we grow older. Some of it is genetic. Some of it has to do with our makeup, of course, lifestyle, diet, exercise. But we do know that the menopause and the change of our hormones, both estrogen and testosterone, affects our metabolism. And uh, the lack of estrogen is very well known, recognized that it can um, cause a metabolic syndrome or it can trigger a metabolic yeah. syndrome, which has to do with our cholesterol, with our blood pressure, with our sugar levels and the fat distribution in the body. So bringing back the levels of hormones that our body has been very happy with <laughs> in yeah. our reproductive years can actually delay or even stop that metabolic syndrome from right, happening. So it, it, it is a fascinating area. Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing that happens in men, right? That at a certain age they tend to store more fat in their belly, right? Well, absolutely. And w yeah. we know with, uh, with the lower levels of estrogen, um, they will start having more uh, yeah, testosterone. testosterone yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of women too much. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so men, they, they don't have estrogen. Well, they do have a little bit. Oh, yeah, a little they bit. They okay. do have a little bit. And, and what people don't know is that fatty tissue produces estrogen. So it's interesting when you see men who are obese, they actually right. have breasts. Interesting. And that's because yeah. of the stimulation of the breast tissue, because of the estrogen. So they, they might also change their personality, right? And become a little bit more, maybe, I, I don't know, soft or caring. I know that estrogen is a hormone of care. You know, is, is the one that makes women caring for the family. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't possibly comment on this one. I would, I would put myself into trouble with, uh, with the uh, medical community. Um, but uh, there, could, there could be an association could with a higher, let's say, levels of testosterone. Uh, they are potentially linked with perhaps more aggressive yeah. behaviors and uh, yeah, they, some yeah. more ir irritability. Yeah, of course, and there is your education, you know, the culture and everything. Yes. We, we, we're not animals, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, no, we are actually biologically, but yes. you know, socially we, yes. we evolved. Yes. But yeah, definitely uh, hormones affect our personality, right? Mm. And it's interesting because you mentioned about mm. we are not animals, we are indeed. And um, it's interesting that the only other animal uh, in, in the world that suffers from the menopause is whales. Oh, wow. And when they go into the menopause, they are actually uh, have a, a major role in the community. So they are very uh, respected and they have a, a different role. That's fantastic. Yes. I didn't know. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so the other animals are not suffering. Uh, no other animal type of, uh, has menopause. Hormonal luck. And this is interesting and I'm pushing the boundaries a little bit here because Nature, what it does is when an animal is not able to reproduce, it dies. So what it means is that when they, let's say, reach the menopause, whether it's a male or female, That's why. Um, yeah. there's no purpose for yeah. them to exist, so they die. As human beings, we don't die, we can live okay. now 30, 40, 50 years sure. beyond. So. It's interesting when we look at the beliefs we have had around the menopause and when people say, but this is a natural event, why should I take hormones? Nature doesn't do this. Actually, maybe nature wasn't meant to have us be alive for so many exactly. years, yeah. but we live longer and we deserve to live well. Exactly. And we know that our body has receptors of these hormones on every part. Our yeah. brain, our blood vessels, our bones, our 
uh, gut, um, our skin, hair, nails, everything has uh, receptors of estrogen sure. hormones uh, and can be affected uh, respectively. But you know what? I heard that nowadays there are studies uh, and they are trying to stop the menopause. Mm. And that would be, I think, a dream, you mm. know, if we could extend our hormonal, you know, uh, fertility, our period, you know. What do you think mm. about that? And where do you think these, uh, you know, studies are at this moment in time? It's interesting what you're saying. I believe this might relate more with uh, just retaining some ovarian tissue, uh, which you can Im implant maybe later and, and, and continue having a release of hormones. And you mentioned fertility, which is again a very interesting concept because what we, we know is that our body isn't able to cope with a pregnancy in later years. So the risks of carrying a baby and delivering the are higher. very, very high. Mm. And maybe that's one of the reasons why nature has made women go through the menopause. It's a, it's a protective mechanism to help us not to go into that risk area of reproducing when our body will have a higher risk of having perhaps a stroke or sure. a heart attack as a result. So it's a protective mechanism, but in terms of maintaining or uh, just extending the fertile life, I would say this is what we do with the HRT. Without being fertile though, because fertility also relates sure. with eggs. And that's wonderful, I think, you know, because uh, I think a lot of women, maybe they would like to have a sexual life, you know, without thinking about, again, the pill and this contraception. Oh. And this. So <laughs> I think, uh, you know, always the, the, the burden of contraception mm. was in our shoulder, right? I mean, the pill was, th you know, made for women. No, I mean, I, I think there is a pill for men, right? But maybe they don't use it? Well, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because... And it's a fun know, one. It's, 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 it's always, there's always been some kind of like research, experiment, and, and of course huge reluctance from perhaps the, the male kind of community to, to go down that route. Uh, just see how many men decide to go for a vasectomy, for example, compared to how many women um, have to endure different types of contraception sure. and, and procedures. So uh, there's still a lot of work that we need to do yeah, around yeah. that area. Absolutely. But uh, yes, so as you said before about women, uh, really, when they, they want to enjoy uh, the, the sex life without having to worry about a pregnancy uh, or they can enjoy not having periods, they say, well, that's all great. I was looking forward to that time and now I can't enjoy it because, for example, it's very painful when I have uh, intercourse. Yeah. That's another area that is not very well talked about. And it's connected with menopause? Oh, very much so. It's another extremely common symptom, the vaginal dryness. Oh, that's terrible. Sounds really terrible. And it is extremely disturbing. A lot yeah. of relationships go through um, challenging uh, periods for even years. So taking HRT could uh, uh, change this symptom? Absolutely. Oh. Okay. This is a condition that is or can be reversible. And a lot of women, not only they don't, they don't know. know that, yeah, but they accept that this is the norm. Oh, now that's it. I'm, I'm getting older and sure. that is what will happen. Uh, and, and they don't think that they should talk about it. And the way that this is discussed in, for example, in my clinic is because I encourage every woman to use a symptom chart where I have um, some of the most common symptoms there. Sure. And that includes vaginal dryness, discomfort with um, sexual contact and bladder symptoms. 
Wow, it looks like everything is connected to our yes. hormones, honestly. Yes. <laughs> That's not, Absolutely. I don't know what is left. <laughs> it's very interesting, Theodora. You really changed the life of many, many women. But of course, uh, it's not only HRT that can help, also nutrition and exercise, correct? Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? It's um, the lifestyle factors we keep talking about. It's not rocket science. And of course, everybody talks about it, but it's the implementation that is very sure. <laughs> uh, challenging sometimes and, and important. So, so yes, diet in terms of um, the different nutrients we take and uh, uh, how balanced it is uh, in terms of the um, carbohydrates, the proteins, the minerals, the vitamins that we take and then the regular exercise and it's interesting that there is evidence behind it and uh, there's also national guidance um, on this particular area that even half an hour of exercise a day can reduce the risk of breast cancer fantastic significantly fantastic. in women half an hour exercise half an wonderful. hour ex exercise a day and it's also good for your you know mental health of it's course. so good for your mental health. Of course, yeah. it's a very well-known antidepressant. Yeah, and it's good also for bone density, right? Because I remember I saw an incredible, uh, well-done documentary uh, on BBC, I think. And it was uh, um, looking at the bone density of three groups of women uh, in the menopause. And one was a group that wasn't really exercising at all. One was a group of cyclists and one was a group of runners. And it came out that actually uh, the runners, because of the impact on the ground, mm -hmm. you know, they were mm -hmm. the ones with the best bone density. Mm -hmm. So it's true, right? It, it can really change the way your bone structure is after the menopause. Yes, I, I, I do recall that program on the BBC. And um, I have been involved in the past when I was uh, training in the field and looking into um, some... Uh, um, markers in the blood, uh, how they get affected uh, with exercise and, and this can promote good bone health. So yes, definitely exercise helps uh, to maintain the health of the bones or even um, help the bones um, reproduce themselves because what people don't realize is that the bone is a very dynamic organ. So it's a little bit like our skin and our hair yeah, and nails. Fact, so it, it kind of breaks down and forms all the time. So it's like how our skin sheds some dead cells oh, and we reproduce yeah. new skin and new hair and nails. So the bone the same, is the same. Yes. So the bone always um, kind of gen itself. generates uh, yeah. a new, new bone, to put it simply, in there. And, and what happens when there is um, uh, osteoporosis, which is the thinning of the bones, is that there's more breakdown than the production of the new bone. Yeah, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous Absolutely. for women. Yeah. So it's, it's from, from having, if you, if you think, if you cut a bone in the middle, uh, like one of our long bones, you will see that it looks like a sponge inside. And then when it becomes osteoporotic, you see these big holes. Yeah, in I, the bone. I saw these pictures. Yeah, yeah, and they're really scary. Mm. really scary it's unbelievable i think all women who don't exercise <laughs> they should check their bones you know of course in the menopause you know years and uh, yeah maybe they will start exercising the day after well Paula, i would yeah. love really what you said is again another area very close to my heart which is the osteoporosis issue and um we know as a, a medical community and and in medicine that women after the menopause will develop very likely osteoporosis. Yeah. It's a 50% chance. 
So 50% of the women, after they've been through the menopause wow. in their life, they will develop osteoporosis. That's a fact. Yeah. And when you know that this may happen, and what it means is that after a few years when the bone becomes osteoporotic, once you have a very low impact injury, it, you may trip or just mm. have a very, very gentle fall and your bone breaks easily. It doesn't have to be like a huge accident. Yeah. And then the most common areas are the wrist, we see, and of course the worst area is the hip. And then you see these fractures or broken bones happening or the accidents happening usually from the age of 60 onwards. It takes time for all these changes to happen. From the time you sure. have the menopause and beyond, it may take five, 10 years. But then this is the time when we see these um, broken bones uh, episodes happening. And then of course, if they happen later, um, they can lead into staying in hospital for a long time and Yeah, they can affect your life uh, in a very bad way. Or you may die. Yeah, exactly. Or you a may broken die. hip in an 80-year-old woman who is frail and maybe taking some other medication sure. um, can, can lead into perhaps a death uh, that is premature. And do you think these women, they understand and they know about, uh, you know, the advantage of exercising? The doctors tell them or maybe not even the doctors know the, no. the link between osteoporosis and exercise Unfortunately, in women? Unfortunately, I think there's very little awareness around this still. Wow. There's very little awareness That's and it's sad. such a huge topic. It's a big drain for healthcare systems sure. because these are expensive treatments to have the operations and the rehabilitation after that, which is uh, very important. Um, and it's preventable, but we don't screen. We don't raise awareness. Um, we don't promote that uh, um, kind of advice that do your exercise, try to maintain a healthy weight, don't drink too much alcohol, um, consider perhaps treatment with, with HRT, which of course I will, I will say. Um, so all these are, are, are the different factors in terms of lifestyle yeah. one can have. But I think the government should also invest, you know, in uh, this, promoting this awareness and also eventually helping people, you know, uh, with, uh, I don't know, bonuses or, you know, paying for the gym fees or whatever. Because if, as you said, you know, the cost, if someone gets sick, uh, they're much higher for the, you know, for the NHS. So preventing is always the best way forward, correct? Well, absolutely. And uh, again, we can have, we can talk for hours about what is important to invest to um, because we know that there are limited resources and it's all about prioritizing where do you invest more and of course when you look at an investment you need to take the long-term view sure. yeah. and that's a major challenge for a lot of governments because long-term view can be 10, 15, 20 know, years, right. not five years. Yeah, I know. No it's not connected with elections. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> we understand each other, but definitely that, that's not a good excuse. I think citizens, especially women, they should ask for more. We should ask for definitely more because we deserve more, you know. We, we do uh, nowadays uh, uh, multiple jobs, you know. <laughs> we raise children and we take care, you know, family, the elderly. We have a job, you know. It's definitely exhausting. And I think we deserve more from every government, everywhere in the world, <laughs> not only this one. <laughs> Paula, it feels as if you're running my clinic because this <laughs> is what I keep telling women. You deserve to yeah. be well. You deserve to be at your best. You deserve to be um, looking after yourself because we are so used to 
doing so much for others. Yes. Whether it's family, uh, work, uh, parents, um, friends, there's this tendency for us to kind of like put ourselves at the end of the pie list and in the end of the day we are exhausted. It's true, it's true, yeah. But that's dangerous, you mm. know, because if we don't take care of ourselves, our, you know, mental health and our well-being, then the whole family will be affected. Exactly. The whole community, honestly. Yes. So I, yes. I think women are definitely the pillars, you know, the community. So we should sometimes be a little bit more selfish, you know, mm. selfish in a good way, you know, but, you know, say, okay, no, I need some me time. Uh, I, this is, you know, my moment, you know, and uh, yeah, eventually try to organize our life in the way that people respect also our, you know, boundaries and Absolutely. our personal, you know, time. This, in a way, is my mission in the clinic, <laughs> to make women really put themselves first. That's great. I love when they come, because to me it shows that they, they have taken a step forward. It does show yeah. that they are ready to, to do something for them. They, they want to help themselves, so that's fantastic. But then it's about nurturing that, maintaining, yeah. building on that. Um, and uh, this is where I really, truly want to encourage them to do more. I love that. It's a new philosophy of life, right? So mm. you're not only talking about the biological you know, issues, but also about their you know, whole lifestyle. Absolutely. And the way they approach life. Because it's all connected, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, it's not so much new philosophy. I think it's, it's been around for many, many, many years. But it's how do we... Uh, learn from from the ancient philosophies. Yeah, but you know what is so difficult. If you think about, you know, the society gives so much pressure on us, especially you know, women when we have children, we have to become the super mom. We have to be present in the school, help the children after school, you know. But then we need also to be independent, have our own job, you know. But eventually, cook for the family and mm. take care of the grocery. I mean what else and then we have to be gorgeous uh, you know we don't have to show a body that is the normal body after you give birth that it's not this you know a super plastic skinny <laughs> type of body <laughs> unrealistic so yeah i think there are a lot of unrealistic expectations on women we kind of have feel we have to be super wonder woman right absolutely and and, and this is where i usually admire the women who come to the clinic um I feel that more or less all of them have done so many fantastic things in their lives. Yeah. And I wish I could tell them. I you wish should I could, tell them. <laughs> I wish I could show them. I wish I could help them see how amazing yeah. they are. And what saddens me, especially on, on the first few appointments, is when I see these women who, in my eyes, they look beautiful, successful in many ways sure. in what they've done, and they're broken. And they say, I've lost my confidence. I don't yeah. feel attractive anymore. I don't feel That's like a sad. woman anymore. Yeah. And they are considering um, giving up their role at work, going oh. for a lesser role, going part-time or um, taking redundancy or leaving the job, taking early retirement or um, not really considering that they can be good for a relationship. So there are so many things that they're worried about and they've lost their confidence. And I wish I, I was able to really loudly tell them, you are fantastic, but you just have to see if I could put a different mirror in front of them so sure. they can see the beauty and the strength they have. Sure. We, we, we need a change of culture. We need we a change of culture, absolutely. You know, the, the standard is too high. 
uh, and it can be can really affect you know our mental health and our mm -hmm. you know self esteem. There are especially self esteem is such you know an important topic mm -hmm. for me. You know I always tell everyone you can't succeed in life and be happy if you don't have good level of self esteem and love for yourself, right? Mm. Love your body, mm. accept your body, you know? This crazy social media, I mean, I use them because I have to, right? Because we have to be there. But honestly, I really despise many of them because actually maybe all of them, because you know, they give to people, especially to young girls and women, a, a very fake idea of what is life, of how they should do, you know? Everything's fake, photoshopped, you know, or just filtered, I mean, that's not reality. Mm. That, that is just a window, right? And everyone is only trying to put up the, the best part of themselves, but that's not real life. So unfortunately, some people, maybe they feel bad, right? Because they feel they're not up to the level absolutely. when they actually are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, uh, and again, you've, you've hit the nail on the head that the, the um, secret to success is loving yourself first. Yes, yes, yes. And our body is part of our soul and body that's mm -hmm. so connected mm -hmm. and especially in this period of time you hear many times people they hate their body you know they want to modify it and it's so wrong i think the, the philosophical idea you mm -hmm. know i think we should definitely love ourselves more and accept mm -hmm. ourselves because we're all different right mm. i mean it, we, there's no one who is the same of the other so why we should all adhere to one standard of beauty yes it's nonsense Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So again, the magic word is acceptance. Yes. And th th that's a lot of the times very difficult because of the relentless pressure and expectations yeah. uh, uh, yeah. imposed one way or another on us. But anyway, you and uh, your amazing clinic, you're doing <laughs> a lot for women and well done. And uh, I hope uh, men will have uh, such clinics soon for themselves. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they need to have an anthropological expert, right? Giving them the right uh, uh, expertise and, uh, and eventually testosterone replacement therapy, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's very uh, interesting when, uh, when I have women who, who come to the clinic and uh, they say how well they, they've been and uh, and then they complain about their, their partners, the husbands, that, oh, can I use some of my cream on him? Um, <laughs> at night, can I do that when can, can he's asleep? Can they do that, actually? No, they can't, no. <laughs> okay, so girls, don't okay. do that. No. <laughs> okay, men need their own cream. They need their own okay. cream. They need their own cream, their own dose. It's a, it's a massive amount yeah, uh, compared yeah. to I, I know the dose is, is, is the <laughs> fundamental part, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. if, if, yes. if you don't get the right dose, uh, you can do really big mistakes we don't want that absolutely yeah but uh, it's really great what you're doing and actually thank you for your time for being <laughs> here because i know you are super busy i hope you know this episode uh, is giving a little bit more awareness to people but uh, definitely i would like to have you here more eventually next year to keep talking about these topics and see if there is maybe a new research with pleasure. Thank you so much. It's um, really uh, fantastic to have the opportunity to talk more, raise the awareness, because that's the um, half of the battle that uh, we, we go through in terms of getting women to ask for help. They need to understand that there is an issue um, yes. and, and, then and there can, is a cure. And there, there, there are ways to manage. There are many, many ways. Thank you, Theodora. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you everyone for being here with us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you understood something more about women's health and men's health. 
And so please share with your friends on all your social media and stay tuned. We will have a new interesting episodes very soon. <laughs>